0: What's going on everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hunting Public Podcast powered by Dakota Lithium. In this episode, Aaron, Hayden, and I are going to be talking about different turkey calls, what they mean, and when to use them in different situations. I'd say one of the most common questions that we get about hunting strategy is calling techniques. And I think that there's so many fine details that we're never going to be able to cover all of them in just one simple answer so in this podcast we try to talk about a variety of different situations and while I'm sure that can be helpful I think experience is super important in getting better at calling something that also helped me is not using decoys once I stopped using decoys I became a much better caller I got a lot better at understanding what makes a bird commit and what doesn't. And by no means am I telling you how to hunt turkeys. I really could care less if you choose to use decoys or not. But if you wanna get better at calling, having no decoys involved definitely teaches you a lot really quick about how to call turkeys. And since we've started hunting turkeys in that way, It's helped us become better callers for things like deer and elk as well. Before we get into the podcast, I wanted to let you guys know that we have teamed up with Vortex to give away an all-expenses paid turkey hunt with the THP crew. Aside from hitting the turkey woods with all of us, lodging, licenses, Vortex gear, and $1,000 for travel is all included. It's a pretty sweet deal, and to make it even better, the hunt will be filmed for a future episode on our YouTube channel. Entering is easy, all you gotta do is head to thp.vtxnation.com, enter your email and you're done. Stay tuned to Vortex and THP social platforms for more info and be on the lookout in upcoming THP turkey tour videos as well where we'll also be sharing the link. Good luck to everybody that enters, we're looking forward to hunting with you next spring! Also in the last couple years, censorship for hunters and anglers on social media has been at an all-time high and to combat mainstream social media censorship, we've partnered with the social platform Go Wild. Go Wild's a free social community where nothing's censored and you're encouraged to share your trophies, do gear reviews, and invite friends. And by doing that, you can earn points that help you unlock awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit downloadgowild.com to get started, or click the link in the description of this podcast. Also, if you guys have any interest in picking up a new bear bow this off-season, we can help save you 10% off of all their equipment if you use the code THP10. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, everybody. Hope you enjoy the episode. And here y'all can hear that. We've got a live hen burning, clucking. Listen, as she feeds along through the timber.
1: Oh, we're, got, we're live. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: sorry. We were just watching a hen feeding through the timber,
2: y'all. You're just watching a middle-aged bearded man yelping on oh. a <laughs> call. So, we're
0: live, and we're going to be talking about um calling hopefully a lot of situational calling um if you guys haven't watched the video that aaron and the guys did oh i don't know when it was it's it's on the channel but they talked a little bit about the like three main tips i guess was the was the subject of the video so we'll talk about some of that stuff but also just going to be talking a variety of situations and uh i think even talking a little bit about just I think we could quickly go through the different types of calls that we use and the sounds they make and I guess I think to start we should go with that I think that's kind of what I'm thinking just real basic don't have to dive into too much detail but the types of calls and just the ones that we use and the ones that we like Warb you want to start with that
2: yeah that's great you mean the types of calls like, uh, like mouth calls, uh, slate yeah. calls, glass calls, or the types of calls like different vocalizations we like to make?
0: I think we'll do both, but just start with the uh, just start with the different ones that we use as far
2: as the actual call itself. Uh, we mainly don't we don't get real complicated. The, I think that's which is kind of strange, but um, I guess where I'm going with this is uh, for the most part the guys in our group. Use a couple of mouth calls, a handful of mouth calls, and then maybe one or two pot and peg style calls. I mean, does anybody run a box? I mean, I I've, haven't for a it's long been time. Years since I ran one. I mean, we went out west many years ago during spring thunder days, mm-hmm. and I used a box call a bunch out there then, but I haven't used one since, I don't think. And I don't think anybody else in the group uses one currently.
0: No, I mean, I used to use one when I was younger, mostly just because I had it and I packed it along and my best memory. What's that?
1: Easier to learn a box call too. Like for new hunters, I think that's a good option for people who just want to get into it. They can
2: get sounds that sound like Turkey a lot easier on a box call than a diaphragm call. Yeah. You can, you can get your typical box call and learn on it. And then some. They used to have those little push pull calls and that's what I learned on that's what I actually called my first turkey in with I think in the spring it was an old I think it was an old Quaker boy push pull
0: yeah I was thinking about those before we started I was typing out my little outline I have you know everything typed out and I was thinking about those and I was like man I don't even know if anybody makes that thing anymore but one time I called the turkey in on accident with a box call I was sitting down and we were just making a field edge setup on some private that we used to have access to way back in the day. Me and my brother were young. My brother was sitting with my dad, and I sat down on my box call, and I went, here. and the Tom gobbled across the field, and, like, they were just they were cruising. They were coming anyway, and they just, sure enough, came right in. But that was, that's the last time I even remember having one with me. So I think there there is a question on here. Um, cashton jones asks opinion on a box call is it useful and necessary i think that we all probably believe that they can be useful especially on like windy days or if you're trying to just be really loud in like an open setting or something like that do you guys have anything to add to that
2: yeah i really like it a lot for windy days or like you said in an open setting especially out west where you can get that sound to really carry a long distance a box or a crystal call, something that's just re- that you can get really loud with. I always, some of the old timers always used to pack around boat paddle calls out west that don't necessarily sound super realistic sometimes when you're up close, but they're so high pitched that the sa- the sound will carry really, really far. So yeah, I mean they're great. I mean you can sound like a real hen with a box call. Mm-hmm. I mean yeah, they're if you. If you care for it correctly and you really learn how to run it well, those things are just deadly. But it's just personal preference, I guess, why we don't pack one around. I don't pack one around for that reason you mentioned a minute ago, Zinger. It's like I don't want anything, I don't want to sit down and have something go like mm-hmm. that. But I mean, there's ways to mitigate that, obviously. Right. It's just. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I feel like we started, we all start, well, I started doing it because, You did it all the time using these crystal calls. And I feel like once we switch to that, there's just, there's the ability to go soft and super loud on those, which you can do on a box call too. So I think just, you know, switching to this is just really what we've all kind of done. And I mean, just seems a little bit more manageable. And I think we all just enjoy running these types of calls the most. So one question that I think people might get hung up on when they're looking at like and and when I was younger, I definitely didn't really know the difference. We always had slate calls. Warb, do you have anything to like? Really differentiate a slate call and a crystal call, because they're the, they're the similar style, obviously, but they they probably have some
2: differences. A uh, slate call, I think, is a little bit easier to condition. Then a crystal, like with those crystal calls, you'll see us with those conditioning stones and sometimes those things are really loud and you've got to scratch the heck out of the surface on a crystal to sort of condition it so that it sounds better. A slate call, you can just use those little Brillo pads or some really fine sandpaper, just barely rough it up and that'll do the trick. And slate calls are super realistic. You can get quiet. You can get loud also with them, but... I feel like there's just a little bit more versatility in the crystal than a slate. I love a slate call though. Like I've considered throwing one in my vest, you know, and Mike makes that little cluck and purr pot, which is super realistic slate call. It's just, you can't get loud with it. It's purely for soft talk when you're really close, but it's, it's very, very realistic for making those soft sounds. So if you're a guy that likes to pack a lot of calls with you, And be able to throw a bunch of different stuff in the mix a slate call a crystal call that per pot that's those are all really good options i mean there's nothing wrong with a slate call those are the main differences though is the conditioning part i'd say i also think these at least what what
0: made me gravitate towards going this route was when i was watching you use the cherry the cherry classic back in the first couple years we were hunting together I just felt like it was so sharp like you can just cut that thing and it just cuts through wind and timber and you can just really make it sound so much uh, sharper I guess than the slates can I mean you can find you know you can find it on a slate sometimes too but just consistently these things cut man and that's that's what I like about them
2: yeah it blows through the wind I mean and and through dense vegetation and stuff you can just get I think it's just a little more versatile because, like you mentioned, you can get quieter on a crystal call if you cup your hand real tight to the ports on the bottom of it.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, So you can can deaden that sound in case you want to get quieter, yelp quieter, or purr, cluck, or whatever. But when you really need that thing to reach out there, you can put a lot of pressure on that peg and pop that thing. And that sound (laughs) just blasts through the environment. And and let me tell y'all what. It's a little life-changing when you watch
0: Warb stand on top of a hill on the road for the first time and just, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 And
0: one gobbles like six miles away and you're just like, okay, <laughs> that's something maybe I need to get my vest. Because <laughs> I was like, I'd never really seen anybody do that. You know, we we just always, the guys that I learned to turkey hunt from didn't have that that style of call or the ability to call that way you know not the ability to just sit there and cut on it so hard and that's when you know not only is it is it uh, like i said loud and cuts through a lot of ground and wind but it also you're like if you can learn to cut like that it certainly can fire up a gobbler from a long way away i think which i definitely learned definitely learned that from Going with you because I had never done that before.
2: The echo effect is what I'm always listening for when it whether you're using whatever call you're using, I mean locator Mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh if you if you're cutting on a mouth call and you don't hear that sound echoing in the distance, that sounds not traveling that far. Yeah. But if you get on that crystal or, or that's why we do the coyote howl, that's why we do the owl screech, is because that high pitch. When you do that, and you hear that th- that sound bouncing off of hills in the distance or t- or trees in the distance, then two or three, four seconds goes by, and then pow, you hear him gobble way over there. That's what's happening is that sound is is uh, bouncing off that stuff because it's getting much further. But- yeah, that's
0: that's definitely a,
2: definitely a good way to put
0: it. I never really thought about it that way, but it's like. If you don't hear the echo, you know it's just getting drowned out. It's Mm -hmm. not making it anywhere. Yep. Um, Any other types of calls? I mean, trumpet and wingbone are ones that I have listed as well. We don't, none of us really use those though. I mean, Catman does. work great.
2: I just don't really know how to do it, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, take some practice. I don't know much about it either, but. I'm, there's some guys that are great with them. Some guys love trick, taking a tube call with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and those things can be super realistic and super loud. We just are kind of minimalists as a group. I mean, and that's why I said, this is kind of strange because all of us kind of have our own little quirks and our own personal things that we like to change. I mean, kind of with the M2 vests. if you look at those, they all look different now because we've all sort of personalized our own to fit our each individual styles. But as far as turkey calls are concerned, we don't really pack very many with us. We don't get too crazy with that. I usually take more than one striker because I seem to forget strikers a lot in the woods. <laughs> so it's nice to have one in my truck in the glove box and then a two in my vest in case I sit down and forget it. But Something that I pulled out just to remember to talk
0: about was another thing that I learned from you, Warb, was lighting the end of your striker with with a a lighter so I always have a lighter in my vest now just take that and heat up the end of your striker and sometimes you can't it's like you can't get anything else to make it sound right and then you put that heat on it and it's like immediately sounds better and my guess is is that it's just because of getting it warmer you know or like you, you dry out that moisture but I don't know Seems to
2: work. I don't either. I just know like if you char it with the orange part of that flame a little bit and then you go to cutting on it, it'll just grab the surface way better. Yeah. Definitely,
0: definitely seems to work really well. I guess then locators, I mean the locator calls that we use mostly are just done by our mouth, I would say. Mm-hmm. But I I do carry a little coyote howler with me just because I, my vocal cords can't quite handle that screaming real loud, so I'd like just carrying a little locator with me, and then honestly I ought to pick up a crow call. It's something I've been meaning to do is get a hold of a crow call. I just never remember to bring it because, again, kind of a minimalist, but you know, for the most part, owl hooting. Even, I don't know, Jake crow calls with his mouth sometimes. It's not that great, but it'll work every once in a while. Do you crow call with your mouth warp?
2: nah i've practiced it some but i don't do it very often your owl hoot works the damn good uh, you don't have any reason to <laughs> well i mean sometimes i feel feel like it'd be nice to have a crow but i used to pack a crow call around in my old vest but i haven't been taking it the last couple of years it seems like every year i take something out of there that i've had mm-hmm. for a long time you know, just to getting to bringing less and less stuff. I used to pack an entire box of shells in my vest when I was younger. It's like five to 10 shells in there. And then I went to five shells and now I've gone to three shells and a couple of times the last few years, I just take two.
0: Oh (laughs) yeah.
1: Two. I'm starting to get a little risky. I think with that.
0: Yeah. Been there. Sometimes I literally don't own more than two at times at the end of the season, things get tough.
2: Oh yeah. And ammo is hard to find sometimes. Mm Hmm. Yep.
0: Hayden, you carrying more than two shells or what? I
2: carry
1: three, but
2: <laughs> that's a good
1: number. Yeah. I've had to use three before. So yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I should practice what I do with bell hunting. I always carry five arrows and I've never uh-huh. used more than two, I don't think, but it's like, my thought is, is one day I'm going to need them. So I should probably do the same thing with turkeys, but um, yeah. And I mean, I also had listed like what our favorite calls are. And I think, you know, if somebody wants to give a quick summary of like what your favorite for a couple different situations are, I feel like since we're minimalist, it's pretty straightforward. Worm, you want to touch on that?
2: Um, I like that combo cut mouth call. Whether this one? I mean, uh, no, that I like that one a lot. That's the alpha, but I like the I like the hybrid combo. The echo. The echo. Yep. That's and I like those that alpha style cut too. That's the same cut that's on the Ninja Hammer that's on the old mm-hmm. Woodhaven Scorpion. I really like that one, but the the hybrid combo is what I'm calling it, I guess, the echo. I don't know if you guys can see that Reed style on there or not. probably not real well, but it's similar to it's similar to that uh, alpha that you have except the cut side uh The this side of the call right here mm-hmm. is wider, and there's a little notch at the top of it, and that gives that that gives that top read just slightly more room to rattle, and that that's why you get more of the back end yelping, like the deeper tones and the rasp with this that you don't get out of the alpha. So I like I like this style. This is the style I used to blow all the time when I was going to contests. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would make you know two or three hundred of these with different uh different reed styles different spacing i'd mess with my side tension and my back tension with the reeds i mean going way way overboard but that's my favorite mouth call and then like that this other one is that is oh i can't remember which one this is Jack but it's on. what's that hayden jackhammer yeah, I think it is a jackhammer. I think you're right. It's in that Woodhaven next level, and it looks like a bat wing. It's just kind of a side, I guess, almost an angled back wing. But I like bat wings too. Those are also some of my favorites. But anymore, I just pack that that hybrid combo and then that Cherry Classic or that THP Crystal, and that's it. I might I might pack more than one of them. I would definitely recommend that. Like I usually take three mouth calls with me and by the end of the hunt, I've used all three of them because if you use one all morning and you're working a turkey a bunch and you're the type of person that likes to keep it in your mouth the whole hunt, what, it, what happens is, is that saliva gets in there on those reeds and that soaks them up and your call starts running flat and it's, it's not near as crisp when they get that way. So I like to take it out and then put in a fresh one. Then let that original one dry out for a couple hours, and then you put it back in. It's got a lot more life in it.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say too. Once I once I find a style that I like that season, I've usually been blowing one like this one for example is the one that I've been using the most at home. And I'm not hunting right now, so like I'm I'm using this one like my off season call. Then once season starts, I usually start with that one, and eventually they'll either wear wear out or Um, I just probably keep it in my mouth too much or like, don't take enough care of it, but eventually it'll wear out or I'll lose it. But then I have at least two other ones. And when I'm driving in the truck in season, I keep one in rotation for the truck. That way it's like once something happens to this one, then my plan B is warmed up too. You know, it's like you want, I want two or three of them that I'm really confident in. I usually just use the same old call and then I just carry one of these and that's, pretty much it i mean like i said i have that little coyote howler but other than that i don't a couple strikers just in case same reason as the you know carrying multiple of these but
1: hayden do you do anything different no i use the the delta which is the one with the center cut um but yeah. recently i've been playing around more with the alpha and I've, i'm liking this one a lot more because you can kind of like you're saying war with those different cuts how it's there's more openness on that right side i can get higher higher tone on that right side and kind of play mm-hmm. with that noise but I'll probably carry both of these this year and then have either the THP crystal or cherry classic in my vest. And then I'll also keep a different friction call in my truck so that I always have one at at the ready, no matter what. That's a darn good good point. Yeah.
2: It's good to have a a road striker,
1: boy. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Good to have Uh, a road striker. I also carry one of those range hex strikers. uh, Yeah in case it rains but typically when it does rain i'll just stick with the diaphragm call because i feel like the rain check one's good like it does work when there's some moisture on there but you can't get quite as loud as you can with the regular wood strikers so i i typically just use diaphragm when it is raining out but i do carry one of those in my vest too but locator calls i just i'll who pretty much seems like i've I've thought about getting a crow call as well but i feel like they answered if they're going to answer to a locator call they'll answer to an owl or a crow pretty consistently i'm sure there's some scenarios where that's not the case but i've i've had them respond to owl calls at all times of the day so i just kind of stick with that
2: tyler this is what what we do tyler rains asked a question do you keep the reeds separated when you're not using it i use these little toothpicks and to keep it in between the reeds And that'll give you more life with your call. I don't do this every time, uh, but I should.
0: I don't do it every time. And sometimes if you maybe noticed me sitting here going, I just have to (laughs) sit there and dig with my tongue until I – it's good practice.
1: I've started doing that this year, and it definitely makes a big difference – and making them last a lot longer and just not having to mess with it to get the reeds opened up before you're going in the wood.
2: Yeah. Before you take the toothpicks out of the call, just put it in your mouth and run some saliva up in between those reeds and then pull the toothpicks out with your teeth and put them in your call box. And then your reeds will be separated. If you can remember, you don't have to do it every single time that you take the call out, but it's like at the end of each hunt, you can pick them. It'll, because I can't tell you how many of these things I've ruined in the dark sitting underneath a turkey and trying to figure out how to peel those things apart, you know, as, as it's getting daylight and he's waking up above me. And then you end up tearing one of your favorite calls that you've had for four years or whatever, which probably a good thing because (laughs) who knows what that thing, what kind of bacteria that thing's got in it at that point.
0: Yeah. That brings up, there's a question right here from Brian. What do you clean your calls with soap and water? Currently, not cleaning it with anything but my own mouth, which is gross. (laughs) Redneck
2: (laughs) juice is what I clean mine with. (laughs) That's about it. Uh, I might put some uh, listerine in there every once in a while, but I'm not so sure. I don't know if listerine messes with the reeds or anything, but I will put some, I will run some listerine over them every once and again. Um, best thing to do is just to keep fresh calls. I mean, mm that's and i mean i used to do that i'd keep them for years and years and years and be like man that's my old trusty i really like that one you know but what in reality is happening is it's broken and it's easier for you to blow mm -hmm. but the sound of it is getting flatter and flatter through time yeah
0: yeah and that's why i like to keep that backup rotation you know you get it worked up to where it it fits your roof of your mouth more you know over time they get these little these little tiny creases in them to where that just, you know, sets up in your mouth perfectly. And that is fit to your mouth. And that's what I I think over time, at least for me, I've realized that's what I like about a, a call that I've used for forever is it just is fitted to my mouth. So yeah, anyway. Um, okay. So in addition, I would say non-turkey vocalization sounds that we really focus on a lot are number one being just scratching wing beats would be another thing that you could do which we do sometimes but i don't i don't know how much of that we really do i mean can you guys think of a situation in a video where we've mimicked fly down stuff like and had it directly work because i i can't think of an exact situation but i know some guys really do it pretty religiously you know
2: yeah it does work and you can use that wing to scratch in the leaves or you know Mm. I mean, if you bring a turkey wing with you, that's way more realistic than your hat. Um, Although the hat does work. I don't know. It just, it's, it's probably kind of like scratching in the sense that you're just trying to kind of paint that picture to a gobbler of real wild turkeys over there. Because that's what you're doing when you're scratching in conjunction Mm -hmm. with calling. You know, turkeys are, turkeys ears are tuned to hear that. And there it's the same way you got to think of it from a turkey's perspective if he's two or three years old he's been waking up nearly every day and hearing other turkeys fly down around him so that sound is natural and something that you could throw in for sure uh it's just like you said zinger it's not something that we necessarily mess with a lot
0: yeah and i think kind of along those lines we'll talk a little bit about some situations now i feel like it's a good kind of transition because we could talk about some situations in which you maybe would do that. So also if you're listening to this live right now, if you have any specific situations that you'd like to hear us try to cover, I have a whole bunch listed here, so we're gonna go through those. And then I'm also, you know, saving your guys's questions over here too. So we'll try to circle back and answer those. I know there's some about like the leg and everything and we'll we'll kind of cover that. But to start, we're just going to kind of go through some situations that I have listed here. So I think how we should do this is um, I'll read you guys a situation. You guys give me kind of an answer of like some of the things that you are factoring into the decision when making these calls. So I don't think there's necessarily going to be an exact answer for all of them, but you know, thinking of different uh, factors that you would consider in these situations. So first one is kind of the ideal situation. You roosted a bird last night. You're going in this morning and you know that you're probably gonna get within 100 yards of where he's roosted. Daylight comes and he starts gobbling right where you expect. What are some of those factors that you read into about how and when you should call in that situation?
2: Hmm. I don't know. When I, when I get that close, I'm usually real conservative and not calling a lot. Like I'll, and I'll most, in most cases I'll let the bird wake up and start doing his thing first. Like I'll let him start gobbling on his own, maybe even for several minutes before I even make a sound. And if you're real close, you know, there's all, there's always a debate on whether you should call to him on the roost, not call to him on the roost. I don't know. I, we do a little bit of everything. So it kind of just depends on the Turkey and what the situation that you're dealing with. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're dealing with a bird that is heavily pressured that you've been hunting for several days and he's not wanted any part of a Turkey call, then I don't know that I'd be Turkey calling a bunch to him if you're sitting underneath of his roost tree. But you know, if you're just in there on a standard morning and there's a Turkey goblin right above you, probably doesn't hurt anything just to throw in a few light yelps and clucks and whatnot. My, my, the biggest, the biggest thing that I'm thinking about is where's he going to fly down? And can he see me from that spot when he hits the ground? And when he pitches down, a lot of times they'll pitch to a location that is easiest for them. You know, if they're off the side of a point or the side of a ridge, often they'll pitch right to the, to the top of that ridge or the side hill of that ridge. And then if they're just out of sight, that's when I'll pour it to him. That's when I'll. That's when I might actually, you know, cut, pop, 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 make sure that he really hears it. And because he can't see me, then that—that's the advantage they have when they're in the roost tree. That I'm always thinking about is like they got the visual advantage on everything. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're so comfortable sitting up there in goblin. So it's good for you to to call to them and maybe let them know that you you're over there but if you're so close that he can literally look down at the ground and see you sitting at that tree then might not be a good idea
0: yeah I think that that's always probably the top priority or top factor I guess is yeah what can he see because it's like if he start calling too much he's just gonna look down there and I've even seen where you know you can call too much too early and then they'll just stand there and want to see something. And they don't necessarily spook, but then they just like either lose interest or just will never fly down because they never see that hen calling. Because like you said, they just can see the world. I mean, think about how much more you can see in a tree stand versus being on the ground in a lot of situations, especially early, you know, and like what you'd be able to see in an early turkey season situation. So he's sitting there being able to see forever. Now, as the season progresses or if you can get on a good edge or something, where, you know, you can kind of cover yourself a little bit better or he's just out of sight or maybe there's terrain between you and him, then, you know, that maybe changes a little bit. Hayden, do you have
1: anything to add? Yeah, there's like a couple different scenarios. I was thinking about our North Carolina hunt last year when you shot that bird. And I think like we call that him a fair amount off the roost, but I think one mm. of the, he's, it was it was enough where, I guess the reason I have I, that pulled up, I could
0: show that real quick
1: snippet right now if you want. Just to preface it, I, the reason I think that bird came in right off the roost to us is because we were on that bird the night before and we were calling at him and had him pretty close to in range. So he already had in his mind that there was a hen over there. And I think, like, I, this is just a theory I have, but I think that they typically know if there's hens roosted around them or at least have a pretty good idea of it. Like that specific bird thought there was a hen roosted there so he was a lot more likely to come to that spot which in that situation i'd be more likely to call at him maybe wait till he hits the ground but not be afraid to like pour it on him when he's on the ground because he's already in the understanding of there's a hen there but if you're in a different situation where say he's roosted and has a bunch of other hens and you there he's got a pretty good understanding that there's probably not another hen where you're set up then i'd I'd wait a while before calling, let them kind of do their thing on the ground and then maybe try to entice one of those hens over or try to set up pretty close to the high point that you think he's going to go to off the roost. And then once he gets there and does this thing on that roost for a while, then maybe try to pull him in. But I'm hesitant to call at him on the roost a lot, like maybe some soft tree yelps and and kind of just wait for them to do their thing a little bit. And then once there's enough time for maybe a hen was roosted a couple hundred yards off to move in, like trying to, Put that scenario together and the timing as far as when I'm going to start calling at them, it's kind of my thought of how much time would have taken for another hen to move in on them.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, on the flip side, I just, I told I told you about it, Warb, and I didn't actually end up sending it, and I'm realizing now, but I sent it to Hayden. On the flip side, I sent Hayden you that video of what happened to Ben, Keith, and I in West Virginia last mm-hmm. year, we were set up to where, I mean, technically we could see him. I didn't realize that we could see him. I was filming him every once in a while, kind of, He, he would, you could just barely see him sticking off the side of the tree. And I gave him like a, yo, 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 just the softest little yelp. And I don't think, like, in hindsight, I don't think he heard it because son just went poof and pitched and went way <laughs> off the mountain and went all the way down across the road. I mean, he went forever away. And then I was like, well, I should have called to that thing more because he was gobbling like crazy. Like, I don't, I, I mean, he was alone. He gobbled on the roost the night before. That's why we knew he was there. And it was just like, dang, I, I wish we would have called to him more. But we, Hayden brought up the example of um, calling to him off the roost and um, that North Carolina example. And I think that's one I'll show, I can show real quick. And it, the hunt moves pretty quick. So, This is to me the perfect situation to call to him. And we wanted to let him know that we were there, but we didn't want to call to him too much. And here is that example.
2: You guys are just set up right above him there, like 100 yards away or less.
1: Yeah, we figured, I think we figured we were 95 yards away. And this is, we got to the knob that he went to right before he pitched into his roost the night before, so we knew he felt comfortable on that knob.
0: Yeah. And we have really thick cover behind us.
2: And he responds, too, so that confirms yeah. that he heard it. That's tree yelping, too, that people, when Hayden was using that term earlier, that's what <laughs> hens do in the morning when they first wake up, and gobblers, too. Is And, like, Zinger, you were just... Yeah, you're still doing that tree yelping. it's morphing into a plain yelp now that he's on the ground. And also, I'm reading him, I'm like, okay, he's hammering, I'm just going to lay it on
0: him. Then he gobbles again right here, I think. And he's way closer. Oh, man, he and is it's coming like, in, boy. Yeah. <laughs> he's coming in. It's so perfect. And now, now, in this situation, I actually... What I liked about this is, like... I'm like we got so much cover and Hayden and I talked about it it's like it's gonna be hard to shoot but like he's gonna have to come right to us and he was so fired up the night before he was hammering you know obviously when I was calling there and he ends up walking to I mean oh, about man, as close as. I love as, that yeah. semi-thick
2: cover. And I we like had also that.
0: like a little disturbance behind us whether it was wind or or whatever I don't know but there's just thick behind us, and he's, you know, coming right up through it. Oh will like just let it
2: play out. Hole. <laughs> We'll <laughs> just okay. let it
0: play
1: out.
2: Oh, gosh, I love
1: it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, then we freak out, and, of yeah. course, have a good time with it. But I guess that was, that was a great example of, when i would like to call to him on the roost and it's not always like that it's every situation's different but in that situation here were the key factors that made us call one we had that thick cover close to us and we were set up in thick cover two he also like hayden said in in theory if a turkey has any sense of of memory at all i i don't really know but in theory he thinks there's already a hen in the vicinity. So when he makes his first two, three, four gobbles that morning, and then he hears us give that initial tree yelp, and then we start calling a little bit more aggressive, hit the scratch. You know, we're just hopefully convincing him, and then his gobbling gets more intense and responsive. And then when he hits the ground and he's closer, it's just like, okay, we'll just let him come looking. He's probably going to come right up through here because he was always close enough to know you know where we were calling from i mean heck the night before we'd actually called him from way across the the valley he he and he came right to us then he just didn't quite ever show himself for a shot but you know and that that was just that was such a perfect situation for a on the roost hunt but
2: and it's escalated the the calling it starts mm -hmm. off with that light little three four note (laughs) tree yelp and then you realize like, oh man, he might not have heard that. So then it's like a six to eight note. And that's real natural. That's how they wake up in the morning. They start Mm -hmm. off just very, I mean, no different than you or I. They get up there and they start shuffling around a little bit. And then they just, they're like yelping under their breath.
0: Yeah, I actually have an example of that here um, that I pulled up. I should be able to find it. Okay. Yep. I got it here so this is another example i really like this for uh the example of just listening to the audio of these turkeys this was in mississippi ted and i i honestly cannot remember why we knew these turkeys were here we must have heard something the night before we must have heard them fly up or heard maybe heard a gobble i actually not to get too much off on a tangent warb, i think it might have been that day where you remember that day where you were Cruising and we were in the woods and we heard you owl or coyote howl from like yeah. two miles away and the turkey <laughs> yeah. gobbled beside us and you didn't even hear it because you were so far away, and we were like, that was warb. I think it <laughs> might have been that day. So we get in tight to these things, and uh this is a really good example of
2: we're gonna shoot him. We're
0: Punks never gobbled. So now they're on the ground. If you look closely, you can see their red head, you can see the hens, and then you'll eventually see the red heads. But what was really interesting about that one is they never gobbled. The
2: only time they gobbled that day was when a tree blew over and they shot gobbled to that. You could hear those tree yelps though in the background. Tree yelps blending into plain yelps. Sorry, and, I like to move my hand a lot. Yeah. Nope,
1: nope, nope, nope.
0: But they, but they never, you would have never known those toms were there. The only thing that we heard was those tree yelps. And I think that's just a good way to talk, you know, to learn about turkey communication. I learned so much on that hunt. It's one that I reference all the time as far as just not losing your confidence too. If you think there's one there, Um, you know, we didn't hear them gobble that morning. Again, the only way, and he actually ended up missing one of those turkeys, but there was three longbeards in there strutting with a group of hens. They never gobbled, and that hunt, I just constantly reference the memory bank from that one and just think, hey, just because they're not gobbling doesn't mean they're not here, because there was three there, and you know, the drumming and all that, we just hung with that. And that that was a super fun hunt. It's a funny memory that Ted ultimately missed him, but
1: it <laughs>
2: happens. We've seen it before. It <laughs> happens sometimes.
0: But, uh, yeah, so I guess moving on to another situation here, another common one is you hear a bird on the roost, and he's between three 400 yards away. You know you want to get closer, but by the time you get there, he's – flown down and went quiet What woody what's kind of your next move in that situation as far as calling goes
2: well which hunt are you referencing here just so i don't
0: really know that i am referencing one in particular i, I just oh think, i got you
2: yeah I just I think you had an example in mind for this one or not
0: not necessarily
2: okay uh I would say my inclination is that one, uh, one of two things probably happened. You either you either went in there and potentially alerted him to your presence. You were either too loud or maybe he wasn't quite as far away as you thought and he saw you approach, um, heard you approach, whatever. Or what's probably more likely is he just pitched down with a hen or he pitched down and he's got a place that he's going to, you know, that's not close to there. Cuz sometimes they'll roost in a spot and they'll they'll pitch down and they'll walk a long long way to get to a ridge or a point or a bottom or whatever that they like to be at before they pick up gobbling again. So a lot of things happen when turkeys fly down. Me and Jake had that one a couple of years ago in Alabama that started gobbling an hour and a half before daylight. <laughs> And he just gobbled and gobbled and gobbled and he pitched down and he did not say a peep for 30 minutes. I heard him, I heard him clucking. I thought it was just a different Turkey, but it was, it ended up being him. We just sat there for 30 minutes and then all of a sudden I could hear walking to my right and I kind of looked over there and I could see a Turkey out of the corner of my eye walking through the bottom and it just clucked like a couple of times cause I'd been calling from my position and then it didn't cluck. It just clucked like twice and then it walked out of sight. And me and Jake just sat there kind of, you know, dumbfounded by the situation because he obviously didn't see us because we were already set up well before day. I mean, the thing was gobbling. The moon was up. It was an hour and a half for daylight. So anyway, long story short, we sat there another 15 minutes and heard him and heard a turkey drumming right there. And then I called and pow, he gobbled and he proceeded to gobble his brains out until he got shot 30 minutes later. By you it was, or somebody else? It was somebody no, I else. killed him. I had to crawl up happened. on him and kill him. But. That's my point is he gobbled like crazy in the tree, flew down, walked two hundred yards to the spot where he felt comfortable, did not gobble again until he got to that spot, and then he just then he just acted like you you know he was by himself gobbling, strutting his butt off, and yeah, acted just like you would expect, so all hope's not lost if he doesn't gobble after he flies down. I mean he's probably just got hands,
0: yeah. Yeah, and I guess if there was one in particular that comes to mind when I talk about this example, it was also in Alabama, and I was with Keith. It was opening day. Um, I think we were actually the only ones there up to that point. Jake and Ted ended up coming over and hunting too, but we were there a little bit earlier, and it was – I just had (laughs) – honestly, I was just – I had hunted that ridge with Ted the year prior, and I was filming Ted, and we had all these crazy – close calls on that ridge and I just didn't have any I didn't go into roost or anything I just was like we're committing and we walked way back in there in the dark and uh starts getting daylight and a bird starts gobbling like way over on a different mountain and it's like and actually down across the road and everything and it was like eh, maybe we maybe we took a risk that we shouldn't have and then actually another hunter who we ended up talking to later owl hooted a whole ridge over bird gobbles right in front of us like a couple hundred three four hundred yards away and it was like oh nice okay so that wasn't that wasn't you know an unnecessary risk to come in here so go in or kind of circle around him to get a different angle on him set up. And I remember calling and he did not respond. And it's like kind of that deal where then you're fighting yourself. You're like, ah, did we we spook him? Because it was open woods, whatever. And then I think he eventually gobbled on his own. There was actually two of them and they gobbled and they were down below us. And it was just like, (laughs) I mean, some people would just probably think it's just, incredibly aggressive and it was just rammy as all get out but we just were like well they're right over there let's just get up there and see if we can you know hear them or see them and as we were kind of cresting the the ridge they just followed a hen we actually bumped a hen that they couldn't see and when she started putting they followed her up like i can't remember if they gobbled or if they just started drumming again but they followed her up and just walked right out into the open i shot one of them but that was another that's just an example of like you have that moment where you hit that first call first call of the day and they don't respond and it's like they were just with that hen down there we didn't realize that but you you start second guessing yourself like and I and I think like if you have the terrain or cover to do it with with the vegetation like if they're not gobbling and you know they're down in there somewhere especially if you have a really specific bead on where they'd been gobbling from like I guess my, my, my tendency is always just move, move closer, especially if you think you can hear them scratching or drumming, you know, and then you're confirming where they're at and you can hang with them better. Hayden. Yeah. Anything I
1: think, to like, add, as far as like the first scenario you painted of them going quiet off the roost, I would try to get like as close to where I thought they were hanging out without spooking them and still trying to maintain the high ground and then call really aggressively at them and then just hang out there for a while and just start listening for scratching or drumming or wait for them to gobble before making a really aggressive move. And a scenario I can think of that's not quite the same. It wasn't off the roost, but Warb and I were in Kentucky and the birds were gobbling really good. And at one point someone drove, um, drove by in a four wheeler and a bunch of birds spooked and they all went quiet for a while. And we, Ward just went right to the tip of this ridge, called real aggressively, and we just sat down and took a nap. And 15 minutes into our nap, the bird gobbled 50 yards away, like right in our face. So if they go quiet, I, I'm likely to just call aggressively and just hang out there for a while and try to maintain the high ground so I can continue to hear a bunch of stuff so I can learn something to go off of next. And if you get lucky, sometimes they just end up right in your lap.
2: Yeah, it just kind of depends on if you're in an area where there's turkey sign, too. That really helps. If you're in an area where there's fresh turkey sign or where you've heard turkeys gobbling from, you know, based off your prior scouting, it may be a good idea just to hang out in there. But kind of it's very situational because we've been in we've been in situations where. We heard like very few turkeys gobbling on the roost. And we were in a location like that where there was tons of fresh sign where we'd heard them in there days before. And we could just hear turkeys gobbling really far off in the distance. But we just hung out in there for several hours. And wouldn't you know it, two hours later, a long beard is one of them that we probably heard gobbling a half mile away is drifting right through there. And you kill him, you know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. Whereas if the opposite, the opposite also occurs where a turkey's roosted right there, he pitches down, he goes quiet, and then you don't hear him for two more hours. Like uh, Mike Zinger was saying a while ago, you may need to, you're not hearing him because he's either got hens and is totally shut up, he's still within earshot, or what tends to happen more often is he's still occasionally gobbling, he's just left that area, he's just moved. And if you're not moving towards him or the direction that he's wanting to go, you're not going to hear him. You know, if he goes up and over one ridge, he's on the ground now. Day winds are picking up. You may not hear him, especially if he's facing away from you, walking the other direction. So it just kind of depends. I mean, there's a there's a lot of factors that go into that, I suppose. Yeah, one, one
0: last thing about that, just, you know, that example of them going over the ridge if you've never hung with a turkey or you're you haven't consistently done it throughout the season it sometimes can feel hard to like know exactly what you're talking what we're talking about but i'm when we're talking about some of these times where we're hanging with the turkey i mean we're going with them like we're really going i mean there's been times we've chased turkeys miles as they're just moving up and over terrain it's like i can think of one example i don't think we ever made a video of this particular hunt but it was two or three years ago in Ohio, it was a rainy day. And this one bird, I was with Ben, and it was this one bird was just going nuts. And it was like, he would gobble, 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 gobble. And all of a sudden, you wouldn't hear him. And you'd realize that he was over the ridge. And Ben and I just kept chucking over that next ridge. We never got him. He actually went all the way through a huge piece of public and ended up on private. But, you know, until you hang with one like that, sometimes it's, it's hard to even comprehend, like, how much they can just pick up and go, especially when they got a place in mind or they've got a crew. You know, kind of like a deer in a way. It's not usually as, as as far, but like a cruising route. You know, if they're looking for those hens, they may just be going up and over those ridges. You know, no problem. Um, another situation that I feel like is is very common. You make a move on a bird, you get set up. You feel like you're close enough. You're you're in pretty tight to him. You feel like you're in his bubble 80 to 150 yards. And he's gobbling, but he's not moving. What are some of the things that you consider or change or do in that situation?
1: You want to go, Hayden, or you want me to go? I think if you are if you have an extra person with you, running a drop back collar can work really well in that situation because then it makes the Tom think that the hen's leaving him. Um, If you don't have somebody with you, just try to start directing and calling away or go completely quiet on them for a period of time and just maybe scratch and do some light light clucks and whatnot. But um, yeah,
2: if you you have someone with you to drop back call, that seems to be the most effective scenario. And we may honestly try all of those things that you just said, Hayden, over the course of like an hour while we're working at this herky. And if none of those things work, then we'll move like that Ohio hunt. I sent you yeah. earlier singer. That was yeah. one where he was, he wasn't gobbling a lot, but every time we would call, he would answer. Do you want me to, can I play that one? Yeah, you I can. feel like this
0: is a good example of like moving and continuing to reposition on a turkey.
2: Yeah. If you bring that video up and, and start scrubbing through it, I'll show you where our first setup is at. It's right there. Actually, like, Yeah, he answers his 200, probably out right there, and- Go much closer. He hey, just- Sounded a lot
0: louder that time.
2: Yeah. Like I said, we couldn't get much closer because those woods early in the season, the woods are real open. So me and Ted fart around here, make multiple setups and call And this thing's answering. Yeah, I mean, you can hear him. He's interested and he's gobbling up in the bay. Like this is 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. Had to move up on him a little bit, he was deeper in there than I thought. Oh, he's just he's gobbling, and he's just right there in that bottom, just off the point of that ridge. But if you scrub forward now, um, I don't think that we eventually gobbling. set up on that thing and we sit there for 45 minutes and we basically do. Everything that you were just saying Hayden Like we go through all of that stuff and in Ohio you can only hunt till noon And it's like 1145 and this thing ain't coming. So we're like we got to move we got to We got to go tight to him. We made a big loop and we got he was in a bottom So we dropped the creek made a big loop and got directly above him on that ridge And we got as close as we could without hitting a turkey call just listened to him gobble and would hit him with an owl hoot to keep him gobbling i think that's a good a good point like if he's gonna gobble
0: at a certain point just let him do that and make your moves when he's doing that i mean
2: yeah i really like that well he wasn't coming Mm -hmm. so you see like now that we're in position real close and the strategy's
0: changing but notice and notice too how they're taking advantage of those loud leaves Open timber, light. Like, if you're a tom, you're like, oh, well, absolutely. There's a hen up there. At least that's
2: my thought. Basically, that turkey, though, I, you can hear me just lightly, plain yelping. He never answers that. But a couple of times when we were doing that scratching, he he actually gobbles back to it. He actually answers us scratching in the lead. And I don't think he, I don't think he ever answers me calling. And this is a situation where I'm I'm very confident that he can hear that because he can hear me scratching.
0: I've had him gobble at scratching yet yeah, a lot, almost more sometimes than like you said they won't hit, they won't gobble at the call, but they'll gobble at that scratch, especially when you get those leaves that are that dried out. Like obviously in this setting, the sun's blasting that hillside you guys are on, so you're scratching that, carrying through that open timber
2: yeah and he's just right off that point below us like he's within 80 to 100 yards and then i thought i heard him drumming and boom this is when he pops up and i almost didn't kill him because i was in a bad position he kind of swerved us to the left but he comes in dead silent like he stood there in that bottom in the same spot for two hours gobbling where he was comfortable and then when he decided to move he doesn't gobble he just is walking through the leaves and that's all we heard. And then I heard the drumming. And boom, he pops and up right there. Sun come up. Uh, it's a miracle we didn't get picked off. But I, I don't think they can see as well during highlight with all that contrast in the woods. I don't get busted near as much, it seems like, when you got that sun up and you got those shadows and stuff. Even if you're in the sun. Okay. Look at that, son. Oh yeah. And like he's not coming in nervously looking, you know he's he's coming up there because he he's positive a hen is there. Like he he's looking for her kind of, but you can see he's still he's still throwing up full fan and strutting through there. He's not nervously walking along, popping in half strutting and doing that periscope head. He's, uh,
0: you can definitely at, at least through my headphones. If no, I don't remember. If when I watched this the first time, if I remember how much you can hear that drumming if you're listening to this through headphones, you can really he's
2: hear that He's close too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's real close. He's I didn't think we were going to get him cuz that tree in the way. I had to make a last second move to kill him that I didn't think I'd be able to get away with, but Oh, it's just so beautiful. Should we just cut everybody off
0: right here before the shot and just make them <laughs> go watch the real video?
2: Always oh, looking. Kind of a hot day he's paying. He looks so
0: cool. He looks, he just like, his head's so huge.
2: Oh! What? Yeah, and then the complete (laughs) loss of any brain bump for a few moments. But, yeah, that was scratching, 90% scratching that killed him and just Mm -hmm. repositioning. And I think, like, a a few seconds after that, Ted cuts to my phone and it's, like, 11.55 or something. Like, we had just a couple of minutes left and that was it. But that's what ultimately got him to broke was just a, a change in position and it wasn't a small change in position it wasn't like moving up 50 yards or we'd already tried all that we backed off and we made a huge hook to try to get on the complete opposite side of that turkey and then get as close as we could and then we and then we hit him with that light yelping and scratching and then he, that's when he broke i think that a
0: hang up that like i had when i was younger for example and in this kind of goes with any of these situations is I would just get too afraid to, to make a move or too afraid to um, like leave a setup or whatever. And it's like, obviously you have to have cover to do it, but if you're playing it safe and you make these loops around them, a lot of times it's it's what it takes to shoot the turkey. I mean, you look at the whole list of successful turkey videos that we have over the years, and there's very rarely one where it's like that very first setup or or we just walk into the woods, sit down, and call one up. You know, it's so much moving and strategy and, and how we're moving that I think, um, you know, that makes a big difference. Okay, another, I'm going to give a couple more because I, I just got a lot of these situations here. Um, okay, so you can see a tom out in an opening, like a field or a clear cut. You don't have decoys or you're choosing to not use decoys. You just want to call the turkey in. How do you approach that situation? And maybe you play it different if he's got hens versus he doesn't. But let's just start with the example of he doesn't have hens. Is there anything you do in that open field setting? Because I feel like that's something a lot of folks probably deal with.
2: Dropback caller like Hayden was mentioning back in the timber 30 yards 40 yards or so just keep in mind where you're at and what he can see i would say that will be my first instinct anyway because if you're if you manage to get right to the very edge of the field and you're you've got pretty open woods back behind you that he can see down and into from a high point in the field well the pretty good chance he's going to hear you calling from that edge. And then he's going to go to his high point in that field where you're visible. And he's going to stand up there and strut and gobble and look down in those woods for you. But if you can send a drop back, caller back, like what Hayden was saying, that's back in those woods, just far enough to get him to commit to the edge, then you might be able to kill him. But in a clear cut zinger, that's a little different situation where you might have some tops out there. And stuff that he's occasionally getting behind, if there's a little rise in the field or something. Anything that's gonna block his view from you. And I've found that sometimes, sometimes it won't work. They'll just, if you don't have a decoy out there, they're just gonna go to that high point and stand there and gobble because they should see you. But occasionally, if there's a if you got a clear cut, for example, or you got an opening with a few shrubs and trees and stuff in it occasionally when he walks behind one of those things and you call at him, that could pique his interest enough to come out the other side of that tree and come to you a little bit further or come out the other side of that, you know, blow down or whatever it is that he's at, or that little fold in the field or rise in the field. And if you work them in, um, like that, like you would an open timber almost then they may continually get closer and closer and closer to you, just creeping in there to you. But it also depends on your, you know, and what you're doing in that situation is you're, you're trying to call very purposefully when he cannot see your location, even if he's blocked by just one tree. But the, I guess the situation is also determined by the makeup of the timber that you're in. So if, if, for example, he's in the middle of a field and you're along the edge of it, but the, the timber falls off behind you and he's got to come to that edge to see down in those woods. You might even, if you don't have a drop back caller, you might turn your head with a diaphragm call and point that sound back in those woods. That's what Thrash did um, with Luke in Mississippi mm-hmm. on during that youth hunt when that bird comes all mm-hmm. the way across that field. It's like he's trying to, to send that sound back in the thick brush behind him so that longbeard's got to come in and he's got to work that turkey across there like he's got to continually call at different points as that turkey's coming in but the advantage is that you that you have is you can watch the thing's body language and you can kind of see is he strutting is his head white is he looking for me is he interested or is he just pecking around out there or every time you call, does he just get further away? I mean, you can you can not only hear him gobbling at that point, you can actually see his demeanor, which is helpful.
0: Yeah, I have I have a, another example of this just that I had popped up before. I was with Keith and Whitney, actually, who you may be here doing the dishes in the background. I sent her a text, so sorry. Uh, it's all good, if man. If y'all can hear that. <laughs>
1: But,
0: uh, here, here is a good example of that. Basically, this bird is out in the field, and he's been alone. We saw him, um, we saw him from the road, and right now I'm whispering to Keith, like, let's let him just go off the field to where we can't see him. But she's still in the field, but he can't see our position in this corner. So I hit him pretty hard just hoping that he fires off. And when he does that first time, it's like we haven't made any noises up to this point. So now we're scratching, we hit that call loud and sure enough, you know, he starts gobbling and coming right back. Now he had just went out of sight. We hit him with that call and boom, he comes right back. And it's pretty fun to watch his reaction and looking because he knows right where we called from. But you'll see him start to ease his way back in here. And he's just too far for Keith to shoot him right out of the gate, but. This is also a funny turkey, too, because he had, what I don't know, you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing, technically speaking, but what I would call beard rot, because he was definitely a big old, big old gobbler, had big spurs and a full fan. You can see his beard's super short. Pretty funny. So this is the part where he's now he's officially like, okay, where y'all at? And you can just tell by his body language. And I mean, I don't think this is going to work with every turkey, but man, this son was fired up. And boo, y'all.
2: Oh, and see so, ya. Yeah.
0: That was a fun one because uh that was like Whitney's first time ever turkey hunting. And she wasn't hunting, but she was tagging along. She was literally sitting right there by Keith as that turkey came back across there and just watched him. <laughs> blast him but that was a unique situation again where we have a turkey in a field we don't have decoys and we want to call him back to us and in that situation we just let him work off and I mean it's tough when he's out there trust me it's tempting to let loose calling on him when I was younger man I can think of t- tons of times that I would just yelp, 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 and just call 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 and he would just stand there and look and you know I guess the approach is drop back collar or set up off the edge a little bit or just continue to reposition until you can get. And another example would be um, the one I shot with Grant in Pennsylvania. That turkey, people had seen him. He's right off a paved road. People knew that turkey was there. People came in on him, came in on us while we were hunting him calling and they would run off the field. As soon as somebody would call, they'd run off the field. But they'd come back, so we eventually just got into a position where we had watched them float across that field and hit that spot. And, I mean, we waited like three hours. So waited so long, Grant ran out of card space conveniently right as I shot the turn. <laughs> but pretty funny uh, pretty funny that um, that happened. But anyway, that was another strategy, just let them float to you. You know, no calling, you know. Um so, I guess one. One last. I guess let's do one last one, and then we'll go to questions because we're getting we're getting kind of late here. And time goes fast, and you're having fun. I'm having fun because you know I'm actually turkey hunting. I'm just talking about turkey hunting. So this is like this is like as close to the real thing as I've gotten in days in a year. Um, where's my last question here? Okay, you can see a Tom. He isn't gobbling. I mean, we're talking right on the edge of range type of stuff. But he's got hens, and he's just strutting. And he's not gobbling, he's not doing anything. Those hens could care less, they're scratching. He's just, they're doing their thing. But you got nowhere to go, it's open. Is there anything you can do in that situation? Any calling styles that, um, or, or approaches that you may try to do to get either his attention or that... Um, that lead hen's attention for example
2: yeah if she's she's you want to sorry hayden i feel like you were getting ready to say something no you're good go ahead all right if she's calling i would be trying to mimic her or piss her off in some way shape or form like uh if she and if she starts she starts yelping and answering you i would focus more on her than i would the gobbler at that point and and see if you can pique her curiosity enough to come in. The problem is is this happened to me and Miles the last weekend. It's like man, when you got when there there's hens in the mix and you call the hens to you, you have to get the hens past you in a lot of situations to be able to get that thing close enough to shoot. Because more often than not, the long going to be trailing in the back in full strut. You know sometimes when sometimes toms will come in with hens, but the toms are gobbling and they're actively coming to you, even though they have a hen with them, that's a different scenario. And they'll come in with dragging hens behind them. But in this scenario that you're talking about Zinger, these things are hen up. Like they're focused on that group of hens that they have. So you got to be hid extremely well to be able to get her up there and keep her around long enough for the toms to sort of catch up. If you, if you know what I mean, um, yeah. But there's, there's a number of other things you can do, too. It, an advantage in that situation, if it's dry enough, is you can hear that flock of turkeys. You can hear them walking in the woods and scratching in the leaves and occasional drumming um, to where you might, if, if you got a direction to travel on them, you might just use the terrain to your advantage and try to get in front of them best you can. And we've killed a bunch of them doing that, just slipping in as tight as we can to them and trying to get in front of a of a flock of birds, or just laying with them until the until they drop those hens and start gobbling again. There's a number of different things you can do. Um, good thing in that scenario on public land that I like, I I like to have a hen up turkey sometimes on public land because they're not attracting other hunters, they're not goblins. So most people just hang it up and head to the house whenever they're, whenever they're done. But if you're tight enough to them where you can keep track of that flock and stick with them the whole time, you might be able to kill them. Or you're gonna be there handy when he drops them and starts gobbling again, where in, in that moment when he's vulnerable. Hayden? Yeah, I mean the scenario I can think of for the
1: hunt. I guess that's kind of similar to that. We granted we couldn't, we didn't see the the tom and the hens, but that hunt in Illinois last year, we roosted that bird on that 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 knob, and we ended up calling that lead hen in, and she ended up picking you guys off, but you guys calmed her down by calling at her. I don't remember exactly what you, I think you just like clucked at her and and just kind of made her question herself so those birds didn't end up leaving and then eventually they the whole group ended up working around that hillside but trying to bring a hen in and then if they do catch you try to make them a little bit confused and and think that maybe they were mistaken when they got scared if they do bust you yeah
2: Yeah, that's what happened to me and miles the other day the there was two long beards and three or four hens, and that lead hen was And I'd come back over top of her, you know, pop pop. Yuck, 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 yuck. And she's just coming the whole way. And you can occasionally hear him gobbling behind her. Yep. And she eventually rounds the corner and starts coming up this little side hill towards us. Yuck, 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 like that. And she gets right up there to twenty yards. Lead hen's at twenty yards. Second hen's at thirty-five. Third hen and two gobblers are at fifty-five. And those gobblers are just little strut not a care in the world and that hen busts us and putts and she does the same thing that that happened in that illinois hunt uh, yeah puts, and she turns around she does not run off she just goes back to the other turkeys mm-hmm. and then she stops right there but so do they and i could not get them to come another 10 yards and that's what we needed to kill them because they were 50 ish and miles is shooting two and three quarter inch number nine TSS out of my 20 and I want to I want to make sure that he's gonna have a good clean opportunity at one yeah so
0: I think there's there's more yards but I think there's a good lesson in that Illinois hunt and one thing that we're, we're not gonna get into it too much but that putting thing like not panicking in that moment like I had one hunt pulled up that uh, is also very similar to that where Ben and I were in a spot where I had heard a turkey the day before with Keith and then Keith went home and Ben came and and switched places with him and it was our last day in Tennessee that 2020 season and we had kind of given up honestly we were like well you know I had actually it's that whole deal where the gun didn't go off that one morning where I had my stupid GoPro clamp on the action anyway we had kind of given up and we were just talking about how pretty the timber was and You know, Ben's a forester, so he's nerding out over the woods, and all of a sudden this hen starts putting at us. And I didn't even have my gun loaded, and we were just kind of up against the bank of a hill. And she starts putting, and I just started yelping. And as soon as I started yelping, he gobbled, and he was right on the other side of that bank of the hill, and curiosity got the best of him. Even though that hen never stopped putting the whole time, he eventually popped around. He was out of strut. He strutted the whole way around, but then, as soon as he got out in the open with us, he was kind of like, "Ooh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this," and he shouldn't have. But when we got him, but like that was one of those deals where it's like putting in that situation, or at least at most situation. Now, if it's a tom doing it, I don't. I usually don't call if it's, if he's putting and getting out. It's over. But if it's a hen, a lot of times I try to call right away. That's that's worked well for me, like in that situation. Just yelp, plain yelp, 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 yelp or maybe cluck back to him, but make some sort of noise back to him as fast as you can, because it may save that gobbler's, you know, he may not panic yet.
2: Sometimes they're clucking, Mm -hmm. and it's a, I mean, sometimes they're putting, sometimes they're clucking, it's hard for me to tell the difference, but often whenever they pop into an opening and they feel like they should see another turkey there, Mm -hmm. they'll start clucking. Mm-hmm. Or if they see something that they're not familiar with, they'll start clucking. Like Ben and Zach clucking. standing on the logging road. <laughs> yeah. So if you go to calling to them, it calms them back down. I mean, that's, that's what calms turkeys down is other turkeys nearby that aren't spooked. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then but, I guess in that other situation of like totally hend up turkeys, the other example that I had was that one a uh, couple seasons ago, Keith shot one minute before a close, that thing didn't gobble for hours, and we just kept moving, hanging with him, hanging with him, and like finally, that was the one probably the most drunk I've ever seen a Tom. I've never seen Tom act quite like that. Once he got in that trance of strutting with those hens, I mean Keith, Keith, Ol- or I mean he waited till he'd go behind trees and stuff, but Keith just straight plowed through, crawled through green brile, briar with him, you know. <laughs> 40 yards away from, he was probably 45 yards away from us and Keith crawled about 35, 40, 35 yards, somewhere in there and shot him one minute before the close. But it was just, I, I'd never seen anything quite like that turkey, just completely. He was just so fixated on those hens that nothing mattered around him. It didn't matter how much noise we made. I mean, at one point I gobbled through my Yelper, just, and he didn't even flinch. And it's just like, if that's the case, just gonna have to keep adjusting on him yep all right we'll kind of go through some of these questions um, to kind of just wrap this up and sorry guys we kind of maybe got long-winded but hey having fun um okay so PG honeybees asks what up PG (laughs) how about hunting calling in high-pressure areas when there are other hunters calling constantly for an hour and then leaving? How do you call the turkeys that are quote unquote call shy?
2: Uh, Sometimes they're just those people that are calling. They're either not sounding like hens that are, you know, real hens, or what happens more often is those turkeys that get pressured they eventually develop patterns where they'll go to areas of that property where they're not getting messed with. Often it's away from the pressure. So like away from the roads and away from the parking lots and stuff. And if you're not in those spots where they feel safe and calling from those locations, then yeah, they're, they probably are what you would consider call shy because they're walking away from those people as they're calling. But in reality, Those people may just not be, those hunters may not be calling from a location that that Tom's comfortable with going. And if you just continue to move and try different spots, they may come in. We have dealt with them before where they don't, where they just always seem to walk away. But I think you mentioned it earlier, Zinger, just hanging with turkeys throughout the morning. If you just hang with them, you're going to start killing more of them just just continually keep trying like if they if they go off gobbling the other way most people say that bird's call shy I've had enough I'm leaving they don't go they don't say okay well he's moving the other way so I got to go up and around to get around him or I've got to follow him you know and once we started really pressing them it might it might take you all morning or all day for that matter but you never know I mean we've We've chased them for miles, like you said, Zinger, and then got on the ridge with them where they felt comfortable and they wanted to be, hit the call again, they answered it, except now it was a totally different game. They turned around and they basically ran to the bead. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really explain it, but that's just their world that we're living in for that brief period of time. Mm-hmm. you got to keep repositioning on them. Yep. Keep trying different stuff.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I mean, if you're seeing a tendency with hunters in these heavily pressured areas, like for example, you're, you're being pretty specific with that question saying hunting or hunters calling constantly for an hour and then leaving, then just mix that up. Maybe for that first hour, you just stay silent or just scratch and slowly
2: meander through the woods, trying to locate turkeys that way. That's, that's definitely. Get on the backside of, I mean, yep. we did that in Mississippi that one time, Zinger. We, we saw the guy going to the turkey. The turkey was goblins. So we're like, we're not even going to call We're just going to loop all the way around this thing because that guy is probably going to go through there just yakking like crazy Mm -hmm. and they're going to push that Turkey the other direction. And they weren't pushing him like spooking him. That Turkey just had hens and he didn't want no part of all that loud calling up by that parking lot because that's where all the human activity is at. So, and we almost killed that thing, but anyway. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Tyler rains asks, what do you can, uh, what do you condition your calls with? Um, we briefly mentioned the the conditioning stone i actually don't have a conditioning stone i just have the what comes with the call the uh
1: little pad and yeah all the calls come with or the woodhaven calls come with brillo pad and then like i think it's drywall sandpaper like three Mm -hmm. sheets of that and that works just as good as the conditioning stone does conditioning stone's a little more handy to carry with you just because you don't have to put it in a case or anything but I think yeah. the con- conditioning stone
0: too is just longer lasting. I would mm-hmm. say like those those pads can get a little bit worn out, but I just get a few of them every year and just have backups too. I got little backups stuffed in weird places just in case. Um, okay, Daniel asks. This is this is a really cool question. I think. Do you guys pay attention to crows in the area? Seems like I've heard y'all talk about it in the past. I know during Nick and Ted's afternoon hunt where Nick killed one, there was a crow going crazy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Crows will pester flocks of turkeys while they're in the woods. Not all the time, but it just very often they seem to be in similar locations. Like where you hear a bunch of crows, especially carrying on for a long period of time. Maybe you'll see a couple of them dive bomb out of the trees sometimes they're messing with a flock of turkeys and we're always listening to whenever crows are calling because turkeys will shot gobble to them, obviously. But yeah, we definitely pay attention to that. Yeah. I've seen crows like swoop
1: in and like dive bomb
2: toms and like
1: the toms are just running back and forth and the crows are just pestering them. Yep.
0: So I actually one time read that a murder of crows will hold a grudge for generations. (laughs) <laughs> I seriously, I read that one time. Now, I, who knows what that really means, but like crows have a tendency to bully other birds. I mean, I've watched them do it to owls, hawks, any bigger bird like that. I've watched them just harass the heck out of them. I, I could probably find it, but I'm not going to right now. I filmed or one of us filmed in Mississippi last year, owl, or uh, crows going crazy on top of an owl. And the Mm -hmm. owl would sit there and hoot and those crows would fly right you know zinging past it another time i was hunting with ben in kentucky and looked up and these crows had a hawk or an owl i couldn't tell pinned against a tree it's crazy so if they're doing that especially if they're in the direction that you think that tom might have went and he went silent definitely like consider moving that direction it's certainly helped us a lot Mm -hmm. okay once you have a gobbler's attention, how do you determine the cadence you should keep calling at to reel him in? This is I feel like something we could go way into, but I guess I'll give you a quick spiel of one perspective. One perspective is like what we had in that example that we showed earlier right off the roost. If a bird responds and he's like pretty close, you know, consider what I would consider in the bubble 150 I guess depending on the setting, but 150 or closer, maybe 200 or closer. If he gobbles and it's just like he responds right away, I might just lay into him. A lot of times I do. A lot of times I'll get him. I like my favorite way to call ever is just hit him once, start subtle, you know, few you know note yelp or whatever. If he gobbles to it, ramp it. If he gobbles again, ramp it. And then if he does two or three in a row, just cut 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 and then go into a yelp and if he gobbles that last time i'll just be like okay son come on (laughs) (laughs) but it doesn't always work that way but you know it's kind of like take the temperature of him if he's hammering back to you let him have it a little bit especially if you're confident in your calling um but if he's not then change it up yeah change it up like if he doesn't hit that three note yelp right away and i know he can hear it and I might just completely lay off for a while. It's, that's a very situational question, I guess, and we could probably talk about that for just an hour straight, <laughs> which I'm not, we won't do that. Um, okay, a couple of these would be answered
2: already. Michael, we use toothpicks to keep the reeds separated. I just break off the ends of them so that they fit in the box.
0: They also make reed separators, if, but I mean, yeah. the cheap option is definitely go toothpick. So here, here's one from H Hunter, what happened to Zach's leg? So tore my ACL, had ACL surgery March 13th, um, doing physical therapy right now. Um, things are definitely getting better. I mean, I can walk now without crutches, so that's nice. I just got the clear to ride a stationary bike with no resistance, ten to twenty minutes. That's not that fun, but it's something. So, I'm, you know, taking advantage of that, I went on my first recreational walk today. I walked <laughs> like a little little circle, uh, the park across the street from where I live, and that was that was kind of nice to get out and do something, but. Just got to take her real easy. I can't walk more than a mile. Can't walk on hills um, and just doing exercises to get my leg strength back at this point and really feeling good about it. The first couple of weeks were pretty brutal, but feeling after the surgery, um, but, you know, swelling's gone down, stuff like that. I can, heck, I'll show y'all if you want to see it. There she be. <laughs> That's wicked. That's yeah.
2: a bigger scar than I thought you had. Mm-hmm that's wicked dude yeah and there's i mean I looks there's... like it's better than it was oh yeah it's like the definitely better. Stuff going down
0: so it's definitely better i mean it's it's too hard to show you without the without the taking the brace off and moving the camera around and everything but it's definitely a lot more manageable than what it was i mean i'm not you know fighting for the through the pain anymore it's just you know, if I move it too I'll, fast, it hurts. But you know, you'll we'll be, be elking back. soon. We'll, we'll be, we'll be back. will we'll be. You'll back. be elking. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the the real hope is that I'm just really okay for the fall hunts. Like, you know, September on is the hope, and you know, I, I mean, I definitely want to get out and turkey hunt some, and I know I will, but it's gonna be limited still. But the hope is, is that like by deer season for sure, I want to be feeling good so just trying so hard not to get too worked up about not being out there on the road with the guys because it's definitely it's definitely tough i'm definitely have my moments where i get frustrated for sure don't get me wrong don't get me wrong there's days where i'm pouting (laughs) ask whitney (laughs) uh here's here's a question ty ty i believe i'm saying that right asks I know it's risky on public land, but do you ever use a gobble call? Sometimes. Warp does a great Jake Yelp, and I think that's a pretty handy tool. Something I've really been working on personally, and I feel like for the first time ever, I'm like, eh, I'm getting there with a the Jake Yelp. I think that's also a nice little um, addition if you can work that into your calls, especially, um, yeah, if you've got a hand up gobbler or something, just, jake yelp or gobbler yelp just something deeper with three notes a lot of times and there's a lot of examples and videos that we have as i'm sure you can search other videos as well just that yelp 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 you can also gobble i used to use a gobble call there for a while we were gobble call crazy son we were using that thing like crazy on public land this is prior to even Midwest whitetail days. Dude, we love that thing. Like all of a sudden it worked the first time and we called one all the way across the field and it was just like, this is the greatest thing ever. But then I guess over time, just worked good. Yeah, and like, I, I think to a certain degree, sometimes you do something like that for a while and then you're just like, okay, I don't I don't want to use that anymore. And not to say that it doesn't work, but definitely, uh, yeah, definitely is a good tool to have if, if you're willing to use it.
2: Yeah, gobbler yelp is killer, man. That's just a just a lower pitch, longer, drawn out yelp with fewer notes. It's like a hen would be going, gobbler yelp would be like, (laughs) or just like he's almost in between a gobble and a yelp, and he doesn't really know which way he wants to go. Yeah,
0: and a lot of times I think the uh, one of the easiest ways to recognize the timing of it is. Uh, they'll do it a lot of times when a tom will gobble. So for example, if you've got a Jake that's kind of following around, he's kind of the lookout, you know, he's the one that's not strutting or even the tom that's not strutting. A lot of times when that tom will gobble almost immediately, it's like it's it's like a shot
2: gobble, but they'll follow with that three note deeper yelp. Mm-hmm. They'll do the same thing if he's strutting too. So yep. be listening for that in the woods if you're if he's not gobbling and you can't hear him drumming you might catch that occasional gobbler yelp, And if, especially if it's at that, if it's at that frequency where it's just like, and then, you know, a minute later, that's a Jake or a Tom answering a gobbler strutting a lot of the time.
0: That happened with the the hunt that I posted earlier this winter with Colin. If you listen closely, you can hear a Jake yelp in the background and colin saw the other bird and honestly it never even registered to me in the moment that that's what it was i was more worried that we were going to get busted sitting there but if you listen close you can hear it like when i watched it a year later i was like oh yeah there probably was
2: a jake back
0: there yelping
2: um, uh brian brian just asked how you blow the call to get that sound we just did a video on it on our channel and hayden you can try doing it if you I want I think to, just okay. like
1: the best rule of thumb is where that top read isn't cut out yeah. Trying to push your air over the part where there isn't the cut. Like the part where it's cut's where you can get your higher pitch notes, and where it's not cut is where you can get those lower notes.
2: Yeah, and that video on the channel right now that's titled like the thumbnail says three note yelp on it. That video has got some instruction on how to mm-hmm. make that that gobbler yelp with a combo style call like the one Hayden's got.
0: Um I also think the biggest thing in all this, it doesn't matter if it's a Jake Yelp or the purring or whatever, you, you and I know you don't want to hear it, but you got to just practice a stupid amount. Every time I call Hayden, he's in the background calling. Yeah. You got to do it. I mean, you got to do it obsessively. If you want to get better, that's that's just the commitment you got to make. And I mean, it's 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 weird. You become kind of a weirdo. You know, you're going to annoy some people. You're going to annoy yourself a little bit, but you just got to take it to the next level because, you know, I've, and I've said this many a times on the podcast and in videos, but Warb, when I first started hunting with Warb, it was like, this guy's so much better than me. It just, thank you. The computer's about to die. Um, this guy's so much better than me that if i don't get like i gotta get better like this this is a a major advantage that i'm just not not doing i gotta put the time in to get to where you know i can call more confidently and then when what ends up happening too and i've noticed the same thing goes for elk hunting as well when you're confident then in the heat of the battle you're willing to make those aggressive calls, you know, you're willing. That's the biggest
2: difference. It's not necessarily that, you know, that you need to be a grand national calling champion and sound exactly like a wild hen Turkey. It's just practice enough where you are comfortable enough with making all those different sounds under pressure. Mm -hmm. And that's when the, that's when the results will really start to speak for themselves. Like people don't have confidence in their calling, so they won't call or they've been told to not call very much or not call very loud. And what ends up happening is they don't call very much. They don't call very loud. And if they're not close enough to the Turkey, many times the Turkey doesn't even hear you. Mm-hmm. So it, it's all about having that confidence to, to yelp at them essentially.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah it,
2: it,
1: it really helps, it it helps to, like slow it down a lot. I think a lot of people like try to go right into it, but it really helps if you just, take it one note at a time and try to find those different pitches and really learn the call before you try to put it all together. I think breaking it down helps a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think along the lines of call shy too, definitely when I watched warb calling, I was realizing that it's like, this guy sounds so real. It's like, it doesn't matter if the turkeys are call shy or they're not answering this guy that you know is just making you know a, a 14 note yelp on a on a crystal or a box call just yow 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 it's like well yeah that doesn't sound very real but then you got warb over here giving them that giving them that you know <laughs> pretty sound and then they're hammering to it it's like okay well maybe call shy is you know call shy to whatever that is and i want to be able to do this so that way i can hunt more confidently and i think that that i mean certainly made me commit to doing a little bit more i know hayden's been working super hard at it like we've we've talked to the three of us specifically have talked about it a lot where like hayden has just continued to take it up a, a notch to where it's like i mean we got to keep up with our practicing because he's going pass wow. us here everybody's
2: getting really greg. good at it except greg greg won't put won't put the dang <laughs> mouth call in he just won't <laughs> commit to it he's like i can't use it i stick with he sticks with his friction calls and that works great so mm-hmm. yeah i
0: away. mean that's the beauty of calling turkeys you can do it whatever you whatever you want it's a it's the same thing with my dad my dad's exactly the same way punk just won't commit to it it's like he's like oh i can't do it and he gives up and it's like hey you're gonna get the results that you put you know for the effort you put into it so i don't i don't feel too all all that bad for him all right um there's one there's one more question on here i just think this one's funny because we've we've
2: we've dealt with this oh we have we have snuck up (laughs) on some armadillos boy i mean flat out committed i mean done halfway up are you rolling you ready we're gonna rise up we're gonna he's got to be right there it's a dealer, and, a dealer. <laughs> and it only took us an hour and 15 minutes to figure that out yep. <laughs> that Been might be there. a slight exaggeration but yeah
0: yeah question is is how do you decipher a turkey scratching and an armadillo scratching and is i mean my, my best guess is like i don't know <laughs> i mean experience maybe just listening real close to the cadence maybe you can start to tell a difference i mean there's there is a lot of times like a distinct whoosh, whoosh with a turkey where sometimes armadillo is a little more rustle a little more scratch but yeah, it's sure. not easy to yeah. to tell no it's now, not all right is there any other questions you guys want to cover real quick i know we, we've been at it for a
2: while so probably i gotta get off of here i figured um, i figured but, it's probably about time but if any of you guys got more of these questions about calling, go over and watch that video. We address some of them there. Mm-hmm. And then on our TikTok and on YouTube shorts, we've had some other calling tip videos here recently as well. Like a lot of people have been asking about the cluck and purr. If you go to our Instagram, and I think it's on TikTok as well right now at the Hunting Public, we've got a quick tutorial on the cluck and purr with a mouth call. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And I feel like at any point, too, if, you know, you did if we didn't get to your question or we missed it you know the next one ask away I mean we're going to be doing these as much as possible I mean like I said I'm looking forward to it so much because to me it's about at the very least Hayden and I who we haven't been hunting yet at least Hayden and I'll hop on here and tell you about how we want you know how we want to be (laughs) (laughs) we want y'all
2: to be too we miss you guys oh
0: yeah I know I know it's it'll be it'll it'll be here soon enough. Hayden Hayden's gonna be getting after it here soon and
1: next week. Yep, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, so yeah. I guess uh, for anybody that's having a season starting coming up, good luck and thanks for tuning in, everybody. It was a
1: lot of fun, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. See y'all later.